together. Father, we pray that as we listen to the Apostle Paul this morning, we would know what it is to live by the Spirit and to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to have the Spirit bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And Lord, we pray that you would enable us to suffer with Christ, that we may also be glorified with him. Lord, I pray that this word would do far more than anything that I can hope for or articulate. I pray that your word would search the hearts of your people and that you would put into us a, a longing to be with Christ and a readiness to live for him. So we pray that you would inspire us by his example and we pray that you would cause these words to be sealed to our hearts. We ask this, Lord, for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> I would invite you to open this morning to Romans chapter 8. And we'll be looking at Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. And as you turn there, I would invite you to consider the Apostle Paul. And to think about this man who uh, grew up in Tarsus, uh, apparently from a devout family, and to think about his, his longings as a devout Jew. He would be one who would yearn to see the Messiah come. He would be one whose family would probably regularly be saying things like, next year in Jerusalem. He would be one who would be hoping that when the king from David's line arises, all the things that Isaiah 11 would begin to happen, and the wolf would lie down with the lamb, and the, the lion would eat straw like the ox, and the nursing child would play by the hole of the cobra, and they will not hurt or destroy any more in the Lord's holy mountain. And the earth would be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This would be what would animate the Apostle Paul. And then when he gets to be 12 years old, he gets this enormous privilege of having the opportunity to go to Jerusalem and study under one of the leading rabbis of the day. And he's, he's trained in the law. And he's taught the scriptures. And he's passionate to know God. And then this figure arises that he thinks is an imposter. And he's glad to see this Jesus of Nazareth crucified. Because he doesn't want the Lord's people led astray. And then as he's going around trying to stamp out this damnable heresy, he's encountered by the living Christ. And on that road to Damascus, he realizes that all of his efforts on behalf of God were actually against God. And he begins, to, he begins to understand that this Jesus actually is the king from David's line that he's been hoping for his whole life. And I think that probably Paul sought out everything he could possibly learn about Jesus. 
I think that for Paul, it was probably like Rich Mullins in that, that line in his song when he said, I memorized every word you said. I think the Apostle Paul, I mean, I, one of the reasons I'm, I'm inclined to think that he traveled around with guys like Luke and Mark was because they had the story of Jesus. And he wanted these guys with him. He wanted these guys with him so that they could rehearse the gospel story wherever they went to do missions, and then Paul could exposit it. And I want to suggest to you that as we look at Romans 8, verses 12 through 17 this morning, there are two events from the life of, of Jesus that had a massive and profound impact on Paul's thinking. The first one is in Luke chapter 4. Luke, the traveling companion of Paul, having rehearsed the genealogy of Jesus in, at the end of Luke chapter 3, a genealogy that would have evoked for the, the Apostle Paul his heritage. It would, have, it would have rehearsed for him the story as every one of those names would have reminded him of, of the situations and the context in which those guys lived in the Old Testament. And then as Luke gets all the way back to Adam in Luke 3.38, he, he refers to Adam as the Son of God. So you have Adam, the Son of God, and then the next narrative in Luke chapter 4 is of how Jesus, and listen to, what, listen to what Luke writes about Jesus. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. So, and Jesus is going to be led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he's going to be tempted by the devil. And one of the things that the devil is going to say to him in Luke 4.3 is, if you are the Son of God... And, and this is creating a kind of link between Jesus and Adam. Adam, the son of God, and now Jesus is being challenged as the son of God. And Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of Satan. I think that's significant for the passage that we're going to look at. The other event that I would suggest to you is profoundly significant for the passage that we're looking at is Rome, in Romans 8, 12 through 17, is Mark chapter 14. And I want to read to you what Mark 14 says. So Mark, another traveling companion of Paul. Mark 14, Mark writes this, beginning in verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will but what you will. So I think that these two moments in the life of Jesus, when Jesus was tempted, tempted by Satan in the wilderness and tempted to, to, to desire something other than the Father's will, I think those two moments had this massive impact on the Apostle Paul so that as we come to Romans 8, verses 12 through 17, I'm going to suggest to you that those two episodes are going to inform the things that Paul says here in this passage. So as we approach this passage, 
Um, Just to review where we've been, we've been looking at how Paul has been talking about how believers are united with Christ in his death. Look at Look at Romans 6, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. And I think Paul probably got this. He, he, he derived this idea under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he meditated on what Jesus said to him in that remarkable instance when Jesus appeared to him and said, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul has to sort out how am I persecuting Jesus by going, out the fo- going after the followers of Jesus? And Paul arrives at this understanding that the followers of Jesus are united to him. And that as they are baptized, they are baptized into his death and then they're raised up with him. So I think that Paul's understanding of union with Christ by faith derives from Jesus saying, why are you persecuting me? And so Paul has been teaching the Romans, the Christians in Rome, about how believers are united with Christ in his death so that they can be united with him in his resurrection. And because they've died with him, they're dead to sin, they're dead to the law, and yet, and yet, we're still in the flesh. And so we've we've walked through Romans 6 and 7, and we're, we're, we're coming to Romans 8, verses 12 through 17, and in verses 12 and 13, Paul is going to explain how we have life by death. And so I would invite you to look with me at Romans 8, verse 12, where Paul says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh. We are not indebted to the flesh. And the reason he's saying this is because he has said things like 725, where at the end of that verse, he says, So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh... I serve the law of sin. But look at eight, Romans 8, 2, where he says that the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So we're still in the flesh. As he said in eight eleven. he says, um, uh, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. We're still in the flesh, but we're no longer obligated to the flesh. We're no longer indebted to the flesh. As I was thinking about this, I I couldn't help but think of Winky and Dobby. Some of you will know right away who I'm talking about. In, In the Harry Potter stories, there are these house elves, and these house elves, they are enslaved. And one of the remarkable things about these books, I think, one of the profound things about these books, is that it's only the wicked wizards who have house elves in the books. And and so they've enslaved these creatures. And a couple of these creatures, Winky and Dobby, they actually get freed from slavery. And yet they still kind of want to be slaves. Dobby, he's freed and he wants to have wages, but he, wasn't, he doesn't want to be paid too much. And he still wants to work. So it's like his desires and his emotions are all mixed up. He wants to be free, but he still wants to be a, a slave. And, and he finds a good master. Winky, on the other hand, Winky doesn't want to be free. She gets freed, and she just wants her old master back. And she, all she can do is she, she becomes a drunk because all she wants is to be a slave to her old master. And that's kind of like how we are with the flesh. We have been, we have been crucified with Christ, 
Romans 6, 6, we have been freed from slavery to sin, and yet we love our old master. Romans 7, 25, with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And so it's like, it's like trying to tell those house elves, you're not a slave anymore. You don't have to act this way anymore. And Paul is saying to the Christians in Rome, so then, brothers, we are, debtors. we are not debtors to the flesh. We are debtors not to the flesh. You are not obligated to the flesh. You don't need to act like a slave anymore. And then as he goes on, he explains, and in a way, he's really summarizing what he has said earlier in verses 5 and 6. He explains how it is that you live out your freedom. So he explains in verse 13... For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This really summarizes what Paul had said in 8.5. Look, look back at Romans 8. At the end of verse 4, he has spoken of how the righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. And then he explains in 8.5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And he continues, to set the mind on the flesh is death. And this is why, 8.13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But by contrast, he says there in 8.6, to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So as I, as I was thinking about how, how, to, how to illustrate and hopefully apply these ideas, that, that if you live by the flesh, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What I thought of, and, and, and I think that the application will flow out of this illustration, what I thought of was how uh, last spring I was uh, sitting in my, in my dining room where I keep my computer and all my books and it's a mess. There's stuff all over the floor and papers everywhere and I'm, I'm totally disorganized. Sorry, Anna, she's not in here, but that's okay. And, um, it's, it's a total mess and, and there's a knock at the door and I go to the door and it's a guy from True Green. You know who True Green is? They're the people that want to help you with your lawn. And I, I look at this man, and then I look at my lawn, and I just start laughing. Because I know that this guy thinks I'm an easy target. Because my lawn is even worse than my dining room. It's like a big mud puddle out there. I mean, there's... Now, the problem is there are all these trees... But there's no grass in the front yard. It's a total mess. And so this guy comes to the door, and I just start laughing, you know. And he's, he's trying to play it off. But... What, what, he, what he wants to explain to me is the way that you can get the weeds out of your yard, and I want to make an analogy here between weeds and sin, the way that you can get the weeds out of your yard is to build a good root system for the grass. And if you build a good root system for the grass, the grass will actually be healthy and it'll be sturdy and it'll be strong and the healthy grass will actually choke out the weeds. And there will be no room for the weeds to grow because you've got that, that strong root system that is then giving rise to good fruit. Now look at Romans 8, 13. 
If you live according to the flesh, if you sow weeds, if you, if you take seeds from weeds or, you know, those little dandelions, you take those dandelions, and in your life, you decide, I'm going to blow these little, these little fluffy things out into my yard, and then I'm going to water them. If you think about sin all the time, and you think about all the pleasure that sinners have, and you think about how, how unjust it is that you don't get to have the joys that sinners have, if you sow to the weeds, you're going to have weeds in your yard. If that's what you think about, if that's what you cast out there, and that's what you water, and that's what you shine the light on, that's what you're going to have in your life. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, so you get the roundup, and you go find the weeds in your yard, and you squirt those things, or if you dig those things out, and then you don't throw them out there on the ground for them to reseed, you put them in a bag or you you put them in a bucket or whatever you get them away from the soil you kill those things you get the weeds out and then by the spirit what you have to do is you have to put new seed down you you have to water the 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 seeds so that the the roots will take hold so that you can build up this underlying interwoven strong foundation for good fruit to come up in your life. By the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. If you do that, you will live. Now, I think Paul is particularly contemplating here temptation to sin. And I think this is why he, he's going to allude to these two passages that I talked about earlier. The way that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And then the way that Jesus... In Gethsemane, cried out, Abba, Father. So look at what he says in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Okay, now look at where he has alluded to the Son earlier, 8.3, by sending his own Son. And, and Jesus, the exact language in 8.14 is used in Luke 4.1. He was led by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan. And, and as we continue through this passage, we're going to find that Paul's going to say down in 829 that those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And, and I think in particular here, conformity to the image of the Son means I'm going to be led by the Spirit so that when I enter into temptation, I actually conquer the way that Jesus did. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And then in the power of the Holy Spirit, when the temptations came, it was like the seed of a weed falling on thick, lush grass. And it can't get to the soil because the fruit is so thick. And if it does get to the soil, it's got no place to take root because the root system is so strong. Because the right things are being watered. The right things are being cultivated. And you can see that in the life of Jesus as he responds to Satan. And, and what does he do in response to the temptations? Every time he quotes the Bible. So quoting the Bible, quoting the Bible, memorizing the Bible, meditating on the Bible, having the Bible at hand when temptation comes is like saying, well, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to kill those weeds. 
And as I kill those weeds, what I'm doing is I'm opening up time in my life for me to actually focus on the right things. And then, not only am I going to get rid of those weeds so I can focus on the right things, I'm going to sow the seed and focus on the right things. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it so that when I say one word of Scripture, the next word automatically follows. Because I've dug these channels in my mind by going over this verse over and over and over again so that I don't even have to think about rehearsing it. It just comes out of my mouth. And if you'll do that, there'll be good fruit, there'll be a root system, and it'll make it so that the temptations come and it's not like it used to be. It's not like the seed landing on open soil. No, it's like the, the temptation coming to Jesus and this has got, this has got no place in my life. This is, I think this is what it is, by the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body. And if you'll do this, the reward is you will live. What kind of death are we talking about in verse 13? If you live according to the flesh, you will die. Look back at 8.11. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Look at what he said in 8.10. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead. When he says in 8, having just said these things, when he says in 8.13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. I think he's talking about everlasting death in hell. I think that's the kind of death he's talking about because he's already said the body is dead spiritually. So the, de the future death is like the second death, the death that comes after the death of the physical body. And by contrast, he, he, he spoke in 8.10 about how the Spirit is life. 8.11, um, he will also give life to your mort mortal bodies. So when he says in 8.13, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live, I think he's talking about resurrection life. I think he's talking about eternal life enjoying the presence of God in the new heavens and new earth forever. So that's what's at stake for us. Um, as, I was, as I was thinking about what Paul is really urging Christians to do here, the words delayed gratification came to mind. And as I was looking for an illustration of this, I came across this marshmallow experiment. Have you heard about this? Have you heard about the marshmallow experiment? So um, these psychologists... They, they um, tested hundreds of children, most of them around four or five years old. And what they did was they put these children in a room and uh, they put a marshmallow on the table in front of them. And they told the children, if you don't eat that marshmallow right away, you can have a second marshmallow. But if you eat this marshmallow right now, no second marshmallow. And then they left the room. <laughs> and they talk about how the kids begin to squirm in their seats, you know, and they begin to scoot their chair away from the mar marshmallow. And some of them, they just jump up and grab the marshmallow and eat it right away. Others, they fight off the temptation and they resist and they delay the gratification and they get a greater reward. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body and, and the way that temptation comes to us, it comes to us and it says, if you want to really live, if you want to really experience the joy to be had in life, you will indulge in what I am offering you. And the Bible says, no, that's going to kill you. It looks like it's offering life, but it's going to kill you. And if you'll resist that temptation, 
There's actually a greater joy that can be yours. And Paul says, verse 14 there, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And I think he's saying everybody that's led into temptation the way that Jesus was led into temptation, by the Spirit. Everybody that finds themselves in a situation like Jesus was in and responds the way that Jesus responds, well, they're, they're brothers of Jesus, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, 829. They're conformed to his image. So let me, let me urge you, if you are here right now and you are a believer in Jesus, start thinking of yourself this way. Don't think like this. Don't say, every time I get tempted, I always blow it. Don't think of yourself that way. If you think of that, yourself that way, you're just going to keep failing. Don't think of yourself in terms of, I have no patience. I have, I'm not a kind. Don't, don't think like that. No. Think like this. I'm being conformed to the image of Jesus. And I am led by the same spirit by which Jesus was led. And I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind. And the way that I live is the way that Jesus lived. That's who I am. Think of yourself that way. And you know what you'll find? You'll find that, let's say you're sitting in front of a computer, and a thought comes to you that says, hmm, might be some interesting things to look at. You'll find in yourself the ability to say, that's not who I am. That is not who I am. And you just close that thing down. Or you go do something good on the computer. I don't know. Whatever the case, you'll find that that, that seed of that weed has no place in the soil of your life because it's not who you are. Verse 15, Paul explains further. So he's, he's talking here, I think, about what it looks like to be a son of God, sons of God by the Spirit. So he's offered us life by death. So you have life because you put to death the deeds of the body. Now he's going to talk about what it looks like to be a son of God by the Spirit. Verse 14, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. And we've, we've been reading about this spirit of slavery that Paul's been talking about, haven't we? Look at, look at chapter 6, uh, verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, and Paul is saying, it's not the spirit of slavery that you've been given. No, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. So the spirit that God has given to us is not the spirit of slavery. So as a result, 725, with my flesh, I serve the law of sin, but that's not the spirit that I've been given to. 8, 2, the law of the spirit of life has set you free from that slavery. And as a result, we're not debtors to the flesh. We're not obligated to live that way. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. You have received the spirit of adoption. You could, you could translate this adoption as sons. You have received the spirit that places you as a son, as though you've been placed for adoption. And then look at what he says at the end of the verse, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And I think Paul wants us to think of Jesus in Mark 14, wanting the cup to pass, wanting some other way. 
And in response, saying, Abba, Father, not my will, but yours. So for Jesus, the gratification of his flesh would be the easy way to the kingdom, which is what Satan offers him. If you will fall down and worship me, I will make you Lord of all the kingdoms of the earth, which have been given to me. Or, if you can avoid the cross, you can find an easy way, a a way that does not involve self-denial. You can find an easy way to be king of all the world. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You shall worship the Lord alone. And Abba, Father, not my will, but yours. So what Paul, I think, is suggesting is the pattern of Jesus' self-denial and the refusal to gratify his flesh, that's the pattern that we embrace. That's the lifestyle that we embrace by the same Spirit. The Spirit that led Christ into the wilderness and the Spirit by whom Jesus cried, Abba, Father. And then he says in verse 16, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So I think what He's saying is, when you feel this way, when you recognize a temptation and you shut it down, because that's not who you are, because you're led by the Spirit of God and you are a son of God just like Christ, not just like Christ, but you get the idea, when this happens for you, there's a resonance between the testimony of the Holy Spirit and your human spirit. And what the Spirit is telling you to do is what you want to do. So the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Did you notice uh, in the the passage that was read earlier, Colossians chapter 3, that Paul is really saying the same thing there that he's saying here. Particularly when he says in 3.5, Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you. All those weeds need to be rooted out. And then right above that, he has said, if then you have been raised with Christ. So you're you're united to Christ. You're alive with Christ. So verse 2, set your mind on the things that are above where Christ is, not on the things of the earth. So this is the same thing really that he's saying in in Romans 8, 5. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. You get similar things in Galatians chapter 5, verse 18, when Paul says this, If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. You know, he's explained in Romans 7 how if you've died with Christ, you're dead to the law. The law no longer binds you. You're now under grace. If you're led by the Spirit... You're not under the law, and you're able to bear fruit for God by means of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Our spirit-empowered obedience, and if we obey, if we are to truly obey, it will be spirit-empowered obedience. It will, it will not, this is not necessarily a one-to-one between the study of a particular Bible verse and then a particular act of obedience. I do think that, that what you do in your whole life, the way that you, you go out there with the roundup and you kill the weeds, maybe you got a little spade and you have to dig that weed out 
And, and there, there may be particular action steps that you need to take against particular sins in your life. Maybe you need to give your phone to somebody and say, I need you to go in there and, and, and put the adult restrictions on the web browser, and then I need you to key in a, a, a security code that I don't know, and then hand that thing back to me so that I can't go in there and turn those things off. Or maybe you need to say to a friend, I need you to be my Covenant Eyes accountability partner. Or maybe you need to say to somebody, I need you to ask me, have I been alone with a person of the opposite sex who is not my wife this week? Or whatever the temptation is. I, maybe it has to do with finances or, or your spending or your greed. I don't know. Maybe you need to say to somebody, look, I want to re report to you on my spending because I am blowing way too much money on frivolous things and, and I'm going into debt over it. And so I need, I need you to, to look at my finances with me and we need to settle this together, and I need to get on a budget and get this thing under control. Whatever, what, however you need to get the weeds out of your life, we got to go after it because your eternity is at stake. And we've got to put to death the deeds of the body that we might live. And, and we're not alone in this. We're led by the Spirit of God that we might be sons of God. Look at what Paul says there in the next verse in verse 17. And if children, if children of God, so the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs. Uh, have you, maybe, maybe you've heard of, of the heirs of great fortunes. Maybe you've heard about how their lives change when the ancestor dies and the fortune comes to them. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. There is no greater fortune to be inherited. There is no greater kingdom over which the heirs of God, there's no greater kingdom than the one over which the heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ will reign. There are no greater joys than the ones that will be known in the new heavens and new earth. We're talking about, we're talking about the God of the universe who designed all of the things that stimulate pleasure in us, who designed our bodies to perceive all the things that we find to be beautiful, all the sounds that we hear as lovely, every, all the stuff that tempts people away from the, the righteous path. God designed all that stuff. And there will be a fulfillment of enjoyment in the new heavens and new earth that will be perfectly righteous. So all these pleasures that are leading you astray, it's like the marshmallow. You can have the, you can have the marshmallow that on the inside has a killing cyanide pill in it. Or you can deny that, deny yourself that, deny your flesh, crucify yourself to that, and then you can have the reward that has no killing cyanide pill in it. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, look at what he says, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. What suffering is Paul talking about here? I think he's talking about the suffering in the wilderness as he's being tempted by Satan. I think he's talking about the suffering in the garden. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. He says, because he himself, talking about Jesus, has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus suffered when tempted. If we provided, we suffer with him 
in order that we may also be glorified with him. I think that this is why this suffering with Jesus, I think this is why Paul calls us to crucify the flesh with its desires. We have to to take up the cross and follow Jesus and crucify the flesh because Jesus had to take up the cross and deny himself and be crucified. And our our struggle against sin is like Jesus' struggle against sin. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Abba, Father. And he's, and he's weeping great drops of blood because the struggle is so intense. To him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. Verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. That's, that's, that's what we're doing. We're learning obedience through suffering with Christ. As we suffer through the temptation, we're learning obedience. We're being led by the Spirit. We're being conformed to the image of Christ. Um, In this study that I told you about, the marshmallow study, um, the interesting part of this study is that they continued to track those kids who participated in the study for, for like the next 40 years, they tracked those children. And they found that the children who were willing to de- delay gratification, the ones, who, the ones who refused the marshmallow in front of them and waited until the guy came back 15 minutes later and put the two marshmallows in front of them, the ones who delayed gratification, they had higher SAT scores, they had lower levels of substance abuse, They had lower likelihood of obesity, better responses to stress, better social skills, better scores in a range of other life measures. And what these researchers found, I'm quoting here from this article online by James Clear, they found that the ability to to delay gratification was critical for success in life. And and James Clear, he explains how this works. He says, if you delay the gratification of watching television and get your homework done now, you'll learn more and get better grades. If you delay the gratification of buying desserts and chips at the store, you'll eat healthier when you get home. If you delay the gratification of finishing your workout early and put in a few more reps, you'll be stronger. This is what Paul is calling people to. But he's saying, you also have the power of the Holy Spirit to enable you to delay gratification, to encourage you, to lead you. And you're sowing to the Spirit as you do this. Uh, it's, it's interesting how, how this guy, uh, James Clear, makes recommendations that I think that, that we, can, we can use. And, and he also he talks further about these studies, uh, for studies that, that sort of grew out of this one. And um, one, one of the things that they did was they, as they recognized these kids, some of them recognized, oh, I'm going to get better rewards if I'll wait. Well, then they, they asked the question, can we train kids to respond this way? And, and so they had, a, they had a control group, and for them, what they did with those children was they gave them unreliable promises. They said to them, um, here's a small box of crayons. We're going to bring you a bigger and better box of crayons. And then they never did it. 
They said to them, here's a little sticker. We're going to bring you even better stickers. And then they didn't give them those stickers. With the other group, so that first group, they gave them no reason to trust the promises. With the other group, they gave them reliable experiences. We're going to give you better crayons. And they gave them better crayons. We're going to give you better stickers. And they gave them better stickers. And that, that second group, they learned to wait. God, our Father, has given us precious and very great promises. And he has never proved himself to be unreliable. So what we want to do is we want to recognize God's reliability, God's trustworthiness, and we want to learn obedience through what we suffer. We want to learn to delay gratification. And we can, I'm I'm going to give you, here are the applications that James Clear offers for learning uh, delayed gratifications. Delayed gratification, and I'm going to offer these to you as ways for you to apply what Paul is saying and reasons that you should, you should seek to grow in setting your mind on the Spirit, ways for you to do this, and then ways for you to be led by the Spirit that you might suffer with Christ in order that you can also be glorified with Him. James Clear gives four steps for, for, for pursuing the delay of gratification. Number one, start small. So you want to you start, don't, in other words, don't say, I'm going to memorize a whole chapter. Just say, I'm going to memorize one verse. Don't say, I'm going to attain perfection. No. Say, well, first I'm going to start with that weed. I'm going to get my roundup out after that weed. And I don't know what weed you need to start with, but we've all got weeds in our lives that we need to start with. Start small. And then second, um, make incremental improvements And then just keep making incremental improvements. Keep making these small improvements. Don't give up. So really, it just boils down to persevere. Persevere in the little things. Um, You know, this is what makes uh, college basketball teams great. You you look at these these college basketball teams, or even NBA teams that you see on television, you've got equal athletic ability. You've got uh, uh, equal talent on both sides. But it's the teams that make little improvements and keep making little improvements that attain greatness. It's the, it's the, the teams that are going to insist on doing everything the right way every time that are going to be the disciplined teams. Um, and then third, he, he talks about this Seinfeld strategy. And uh, this comes from a story about Jerry Seinfeld where um, apparently a, a comedian asked Seinfeld how he came up with such great material. And how, how it was that he, that he made so many people laugh. And what Seinfeld said was, you got to write better jokes. And the, write better jokes is, the way to write better jokes is you got to do it every day. You got to do it all the time. And, and, and you gotta, you got to stay after it. So again, it's just persevere. Set yourself a goal. Uh, isolate the weeds you're going to go after. Start small and then stay on it. And, and then fourth, all, the, all these things kind of work together. Fourth, find a way to get started in less than two minutes. And, and so really what he's saying is take this in bite-sized chunks. Don't, don't t- undertake uh, Christ-like perfection all in one go. What we need to do is we need to say, I can become more like Christ in this way. And I can start right away, right here, on this item. And I can make these incremental improvements that are going to make me more like Jesus. So it's, it's really, it's a lot like the lawn, you know? 
I need to kill the weeds. Some of them I need to dig out. I need to put down good seed. I need to water that seed. I need to make sure there's good light on that seed. And then I need to keep, keep at it and stay on this and keep the weeds out so that the root system develops, so that the good fruit starts to come. By the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You have not received the spirit of adoption as sons. Uh, you have not received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. We are being conformed to the image of Christ, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Let's suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that if there are people here who don't know Jesus, who don't identify with him in his death and resurrection, I pray that you would do for them what you did for the Apostle Paul and what you did for each of us who believe. I pray that you would reveal Jesus in all his glory and communicate to them that by resisting bowing the knee to Christ, they're in opposition to you. And Lord, I pray that you'd convince them that the way to life is death. I pray that they would die to themselves. I pray that they would die to the law, that they would die to sin, that they would be buried with Christ, that they might live with him. And Father, for those of us for whom you've already done these miraculous works of making us alive. Lord, don't let us be like Winky. Keep us from being those who long for the slavery of our old wicked masters. Lord, make us, make us those who identify with Christ. Make us those who are sons of God, led by your Spirit. And God, I pray that you would give us the joy of seeing little ways as we start small, little ways that we begin to conquer as Jesus conquered, little ways that we begin to return good for evil, ways that we begin to rejoice in the midst of affliction, ways that we begin to not take vengeance but leave room for your wrath. Ways that we begin to bless those who persecute us, to bless them and not to curse them. Ways that we begin to speak the truth of the gospel that people might know you. Lord, there are so many ways that you can conform us to the image of Christ. We have so far to go, but you are a good and reliable father. And our desire is to know you, to live for you, to be yours. It is so good to know you as our Father. We praise you and thank you for the Lord Jesus. Amen.